everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. I am so excited that you are a part of our worship service today. Uh, we are continuing on in our series that we've entitled Numbers, Counting on God. These are some lessons from the book of Numbers, and I love it because Numbers is one of those books where people don't read much of it. That's because in chapter one, there's a census where they get the title Numbers because they numbered the people, and people read the, they get to the first chapter and go, oh, I don't want to read a whole book full of censuses. And it's not. In fact, there's a census at the beginning and a census at the end, but in the middle, there are all these amazing stories of how God led the people of Israel, the children of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt onto the promised land. Today, I want to talk with you about one of the events that happened while they were in the wilderness on their journey there. There was a lesson where the people grumbled and complained in spite of all the things that God had done for them. And it's a lesson for us today. God didn't like it one bit, by the way. But it's a lesson for us today because we can often grumble and complain when we have lots to be thankful for. So these are lessons that are in the Bible to remind us to be grateful. Let me have a word of prayer, and we'll jump right in. Lord, we thank you for this day. We're grateful for the day. We're grateful for our freedoms. We're grateful I'm, uh, on this Memorial Day that people have died to protect our freedoms. You've blessed us with much. And so today we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us and teach us some things from your word so we know how to live and how to serve you better and have a right relationship with you. We thank you so much for all the things you give us, for all of your provision. We ask now that, I ask now, Lord, that you would speak and move me out of the way. Teach us what we need to know today about counting on you to provide. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, point one on your outline is simply this, that God miraculously rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and provided for all their needs as they began to journey to the promised land. He provided for them. Uh, in the book of Exodus, we learn how the children of Israel had been in slavery for hundreds of years. Well, to get them free, bullet point one there is God sent 10 plagues on their taskmasters. The Egyptians were brutal. They were beating uh, the Israelites mercilessly. They were taking their uh, baby boys and pitching them in the Nile River to exterminate uh, most of the future progeny so the Israelites wouldn't continue to multiply. And God sent plagues on them, plagues of flies and frogs and hail, and eventually even one of the, the firstborn son in every household in Egypt passed away, died. But the angel of death passed over the Israelites, and that night Pharaoh said, get out, I want you guys gone. He'd been resistant till then, all the Egyptians had been, they said, you need to leave. In fact, that brings us to the next bullet point. God gave the Israelites the wealth of Egypt. They'd become so convinced that the God of the Hebrews was mightier than any of their gods, they were afraid they would all be destroyed. So on their way out, they said, take whatever you want. They were taking off their earrings and their jewelry. They were giving them their best clothes. They took anything they wanted. And so on their way out, after being slaves for hundreds of years, all of a sudden they became fabulously wealthy, loaded down with the best and the finest of Egypt. Then God led the Israelites and protected them through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. We talked about this last week. They knew exactly where to go. There were about 2 million of them, counting all the men, women, and children. And as they were going through the wilderness, they knew exactly where to go because there was a pillar of cloud that led them during the day and a pillar of fire that burned all night long so they could even march at night. 
God parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross on dry ground. These are all miraculous happenings, one right after the other in the book of Exodus. And so Pharaoh had changed his mind after the Israelites had been gone just a few days. He came after them, and they were at the edge of the Red Sea, and they thought they were cornered. Pharaoh was going to come and slaughter them all. What happened was God opened up a walkway through the Red Sea. The water was in straight-up walls on either side of them as they walked through on dry ground. When Pharaoh came after them and chased them down into the bottom of the sea, the water closed over them. That's the next point, that God destroyed the Egyptian army pursuing the Israelites. Then when they got to the other side and they started out in the wilderness, they didn't have anything to eat. And God provided them with miraculous food from heaven called manna. We'll talk about that in a minute. They didn't have water to drink. They were thirsty. When they got to the base of Mount Sinai, there wasn't anything for them to drink. And God gave them water from a rock. He told Moses to go to a certain rock and to strike it with a staff that had parted the Red Sea. Water came gushing out, and there was water there for them for the next year. They stayed there at the base of Mount Sinai for a little over a year. They got the, all their tribes organized, their government set in place. They built the tabernacle. They set up all the official sacrificial systems and the priestly orders. And they got everything organized. And then when everything was organized... About a year later, God said, now it's time to go to the promised land. And the cloud moved and led them on their way. And that's where we're jumping into the story in Numbers today. But before we get any further, though, let me just interject this. This life application, we can count on God to generously provide all we need if we seek him first. I mean, all these stories about God rescuing his people, about God protecting them from their enemies, about God providing for them, and showering them with blessings. All those are in the Bible to remind us that God will provide for us too. He asks us to trust him and to follow him, and he'll provide for all of our needs. This wasn't just a story for people in the Old Testament. This is a promise for us today. This is Jesus talking about it. Don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, and what will we drink, and what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father knows all your needs, so seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble has enough for today. Has anybody else found that to be true? There's enough trouble today already. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, but we do. Will I have enough? Will I have this? And today you're going to see that even among the Israelites after they had all these blessings. Philippians 4.19, the apostle Paul said, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice when Jesus said that God knows all our needs and will provide everything we need, and uh, Paul said God will supply all of our needs, that's the note there. God never promised to give us everything we want. And this is where the rubber meets the road. God will provide for our needs. The problem is, though, sometimes we want him to provide everything we want. And he is our heavenly father, and and if you haven't had kids yet, just wait till you have kids. They're going to want stuff that they don't need. Can any parent here say amen? amen. Yeah, amen. Okay, there are times when kids just want stuff because they want it. And if they don't get it right now, they have a hissy fit. They throw a tantrum. And the sad thing is, is that doesn't stop when we turn three or 30. We can still throw a tantrum. God can bless us. Time after time after time after time. But what have you done for me lately? If that makes sense to you, 
Well, then this story is going to make a lot of sense to you. Point two. The Israelites weren't content with God's provision, and they began to grumble and complain. So they've been out of slavery about a year and a half. They've seen, they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw Pharaoh's army decimated right in front of them. They didn't even have to lift a finger. They were wearing the finest clothes of Egypt. They were loaded down with jewelry. They even had amazing food that fell from heaven. That food that God was providing for them, they called it manna because they had asked God to provide for food. They didn't have anything to eat. And so every morning when the dew would settle on the grass, miraculously these little flakes would appear. And they said they were white and they tasted like little wafers with honey. And so the Israelites, the first morning they went out and saw it, they said, what is it? And the Hebrew word for the expression, what is it, is manna. And so that's what stuck. So the name, manna means, what is it? All right? So they weren't terribly creative in their naming process. But they, so they had a whole jar of what is it flakes. You know, I mean, advertise that. It's like, buy what is it? It's good for you. Okay, or whatever. But you had, they would collect these uh, little flakes every morning in two-quart jars. They called them an omer. And the Lord said, you're going to need to eat about two quarts of this every day per person, so go collect that much. But here's what was miraculous about it. If someone was old and kind of feeble and they couldn't get two quarts collected because every day when the sun got hot, it would melt away. If they didn't get enough collected in time, it says that if you gathered a little, it multiplied in the jar, so you had just enough. And there were people who tried to gather too much and jam it down, and it would always just end up with two quarts anyway. The other thing that was miraculous about it is you couldn't keep it till the next day. If you kept it till the next morning, it'd be full of maggots and stink. So you had to eat it or throw it out, and the next day you go get more. And the whole idea behind it was the Lord wanted his people to trust in his provision every day. He wanted them to be able to pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. I mean, that's where Jesus got that concept. He's referring, he's, or that's what he was referring to when he's telling his disciples to pray that way in the Lord's Prayer. Pray for your daily bread, something you'll get every day. Because we live in a culture where we've been blessed with so much, sometimes we are under the delusion that we don't need God's help to provide. We forget all about the fact that he's the one who gave us strength in our arms. He's the one who's given us the opportunities we have in front of us, and so we're not grateful. Now let's jump into the story in Numbers 11. Well, the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites uh, began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. Remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt? We had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Now, the manna looked like small coriander seeds. It was pale yellow like gum resin. And the people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills, pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. And the manna came down in the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry, and Moses was also very aggravated. So what happens is here is the people started grumbling. Now, grumbling... Uh, the best definition I've heard of grumbling is you put together growl and mumble, and you get grumble. And that kind of works, because grumbling literally means to complain in a low voice. 
Terry's manna is doing like manna, terrible manna. Why we got to eat manna? This can happen to you and me. We can have something bad going on that we don't like in our lives, and instead of doing something about it or praying about it, we just grumble about it. Terrible. Slamming the door, kicking something. Okay? And there's a life application I want to get to right away if you open up your bulletin. If we hang around people who do that, grumble and complain a lot, we become like them. I mean, this was the rabble traveling with the Israelites. There were people who left Egypt who weren't Israelites. I mean, these might have been people who were down on their luck and they saw the Egyptians throwing jewelry and stuff and everything and go, hey, this is pretty good. I'm going to go with these folks. And they grabbed all the loot they could and traveled with them. But they weren't loyal to God. They weren't of the people of Israel. And now it was a year and a couple of months later, and they'd been eating this manna, and they're going, hey, I want to go back to Egypt where we had leeks and onions and garlic, hopefully breath mints too, by the way. But anyway, you know, I want to go back there. Well, and this, this contaminated the mind of the Israelites, and they forgot all about the fact that they were in slavery, that they'd been making bricks for Pharaoh, never getting paid a dime. And now they're talking about going back for better salad bars? I mean, they were wearing the finest clothes. The Egyptian army had been crushed. A pillar of fire was burning over their camp at night, so they didn't even need to be afraid of the dark. And if you ever think, well, if God would just do this, then I'd be happy, or if God would just do this, then I'd trust him. Well, for how long? Because this is a human condition. We forget how good people have been to us, and we forget how good God has been to us. And it all starts, we start hanging around people who are grumblers and complainers. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Could we say that verse together out loud, please? Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And who am I hanging out with? What TV shows am I watching? What websites am I visiting? What videos am I watching? Where I watch and my blood pressure gets mad. Government and taxes. And all of a sudden, we can get all in a growl and a rumble. And we've been blessed. And we haven't even thanked God for anything lately. We're just mad about what we don't have. Got to be careful. Story continues. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow you'll have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried, Oh, for some meat to eat. If you'd underline, The Lord heard you. If you weren't with us last week, the pillar of fire was positioned directly above the portable temple that they carried with them, and that was always in the center of the camp. God wanted to be at the center of their community, the center of their lives. And so when they're rah, 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 mumbling in the camp, no meat, manna, tired as manna, the Lord heard them. The Lord heard them. He said, you want meat? Fine. I heard you say, oh, for some meat to meat, eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat. 
and you'll have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two or for five or 10 or even 20 days. You're going to eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. In the New International Version, it says, until it comes out of your nostrils. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. And you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? I mean, this is why it is such a wrong thing. If we trust God to provide and we say, God, you are so gracious. I mean, think of us even now as New Testament Christians. We know that God sent his own son to die for us on the cross. And he loves us so much. And he provides for us. And the scriptures tell us that God causes everything to work together for good. And then we have anything bad that happens in our life or anything that doesn't meet our expectations. These stories are to warn us. But it's interesting here, Moses himself was even going, wait a minute, Lord, for a whole month? Moses responded, Lord, there's 600,000 foot soldiers here with me, and yet you say I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month? Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? I mean, Moses himself was going, Lord, how are you going to do this? Because 600,000 foot soldiers, that's just the able-bodied men. That doesn't count the women and children or the old men and the old women. I mean, this is two million people. You're going to meet for a month? How's that? And then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you'll see whether or not my word comes true. The Lord wants us to trust in him. So the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and the next day, too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. Now, if you're not familiar with how big a bushel is, it just got a box here that had been delivered to our house, measured it, and this isn't quite a bushel. But if you, if you had a heaping pile in here, this would be approximately one bushel, like if we put the lid up. This would be a, approximately a bushel of quail. Each person had 50 of these. Family of four, you had 200 of these things stacked around your tent. That's a mess of quail. That's a lot of quail. So they uh, ended up with 50 bushels each. And they spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague so that place was called kibroth hataava which means graves of gluttony because there they buried the people who had craved meat from egypt forgotten about all all about how god had rescued them they weren't happy with what god had given them they only focused on what he hadn't given them yet You understand how this could happen in my life. I can pray, God, I pray that I'll get into college, and then I do. And then I pray that I'll pass the classes, and I do. And I pray that I'll get a job when I get out, and I do. And that I'll find someone to marry, and I do. And I pray that I'll have kids, and I do, uh, with my wife. And then we have these blessings. And then I pray that God will provide us what we need. And then all of a sudden, one day, we're struggling. And somebody, oh, where are you? How come God won't hear my prayers? Well, what's he ever done for me? You mean other than this, 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 this? Yeah. Well, other than that, yeah. And this is terribly easy to fall into. 
And that's why there's a life application here. We're supposed to learn from these stories. And the reason we're taking time to go through these, the Bible says we must learn from the sins of the Israelites so we won't grumble and complain. This is a sinful, wicked attitude. And it's a favorite of the devils, by the way. I mean, remember in the, in the Garden of Eden, this is how he approached Eve. Adam and Eve could eat the fruit off of millions of trees in the Garden of Eden. Just the one in the center they were told not to eat of. And that was the one that the devil tempted Eve with, saying, why'd God tell you not to eat this? This is the best fruit. Uh, God knows it'll make you wise just like him. He's holding out on you, Eve. Take the one thing you can't have. Not all the stuff you can. Take this. And if he gets us focused on just the one or two things we don't have, we can forget about all the other blessings we already have that God has blessed us with. Psalm 78. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, about his mighty wonders, so the next generation might know them. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. They forgot what he had done, the great wonders he had shown them. They kept on sinning against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. They even spoke against God himself, saying, God can't give us food in the wilderness, for they didn't believe God or trust him to care for them. When we grumble and complain, that's what it sounds like, because that's what it is. And God heard them. Imagine if you're sitting in your office, grumbling and complaining, and then you realize your boss is listening. First Corinthians 10 I don't want you to forget dear brothers and sisters about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness these things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave the evil things they did as they did don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death these things happened to them as examples for us they were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. That's why all these stories are written down for us, because these same attitudes can take place in our hearts if we're not careful. I remember the Lord drilled this home to me uh, a number of years ago when my wife and I uh, first moved to Montgomery. We lived in Houston for about four years, got started in ministry, and then we came to Montgomery and... Uh, we had our first child, and our second son, Evan, came along too, and Debbie was staying home with the kids, and I was working in ministry and going to seminary, and man, money was really tight, and we just didn't have funds for a new car or anything like this, and her dad was gracious enough to give us a, a, a used car that they'd had in the family. It had a number of miles, but it was in great shape, ran like a top. It was a, a Buick, and, and we were going to drive it, and we were so grateful for it. And I drove it for a year and a half or two, and I was grateful for it until one day um, the, the material that covers the ceiling is called a headliner. I think some of you know where I'm going with this, okay? The headliner started to drop, and it would land on my head every time I got in the car. Has anybody else ever had this happen with an old car? Okay, yeah, it's, it's aggravating. Okay, anyway, I'd keep pushing this up, and I'd tack it up, and I'd find you know, sprays or something that would help glue it up, and nothing ever worked. And so one day I finally got mad, and I just yanked it out, and I'm going to replace it. Well, then I had to drive it for a while without the headliner, and I didn't realize the insulation under there, if you hit a bump like a railroad track, it will snow <laughs> every time. 
So I would get to work, and I'm brushing off insulation that snowed on me on my way to work. And I'm so frustrated now over this headliner in this car. And I remember it happened on a Sunday morning. I was working at Fraser Methodist, driving my car to help people worship Jesus. And I hit a bump on the way there, snowed all over me. I am so mad. Get out of the car, and I slam the door. And, of course, it snows when I slam the door. Oh, and I remember under my breath, I said, oh, I can't stand this car. That day, at noon, after lunch or whatever, I'm driving home, and I get involved in an accident, and somebody T-bones me. It's an older car, so it's not worth fixing, so it's totaled, and the insurance agent just gives me a check. He said, John, that's the most I can do. I mean, it's an old car. And it wasn't enough to get us anything even as nice as we had. And I got the check, and I went, man, I love that car. <laughs> now, God was good to us. We were able to get another old car because somebody was very generous to us. And I never complained about that one. But I think of this story every time. We're going to tell our children this so they won't be stubborn and rebelling and ungrateful. When Deb's dad had given us that old car, we were so glad to have it. And then, even though it was running like a top and all these things were good, you know what I'm complaining about? The, the cloth on the ceiling. They had the best jewelry. The armies of Egypt have been defeated. They're on their way to the promised land, but we don't have onions. And the Lord goes, no, no. Now, if we're supposed to learn from this, I want to spend just a few minutes going over five things that we can do so we don't act like they do. And here are five things that the scripture teaches us that can help us so we don't grumble and complain. First of all, number one, we can focus on God rather than our circumstances. I mean, when we say that we are unhappy with what God provided, we're saying we're unhappy with him because he's the provider. Three things to remember. God is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. That's Psalm 136, verse 1. God is good. Would you say it with me, please? God is good. Secondly, God is for me. Well, good. I wasn't even going to ask you. I'm glad you go ahead of me. That's good. I was just reading. Good job. Okay. If God, if God is for us, he could be against us. That's Romans 8. Paul goes into Romans 8. He goes, if God's for us, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Why do you think he's holding anything else back? Who's going to condemn us if he rescued us? If anybody in the whole universe is for you today, it's the God of heaven. God is for me. And if there are things in my life that I don't have, he knows that. And that brings us to the third thing. God can use even painful things for my good. So if I don't have something or I have to wait for something or there's something happening here, maybe God's pruning me. Maybe God's developing character in me. Listen to Romans 5. Now we can rejoice too. We run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope won't lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God can use even painful things for my good. Now can we say that together please? God can use even painful things for my good. God is good. He's for me. can use even painful things for my good. If we focus on him and remember that every day, I mean, think if we wrote that on a three-by-five card and stuck it on the mirror when we shave or get dressed every morning. 
think we've meditated on that instead of all the things we don't have. Secondly, we can pray instead of grumbling about how bad things are. Bible doesn't, I mean, sometimes I've gone over this with people and they go, so I'm just supposed to take it? I'm not supposed to do anything about it? No, we're supposed to pray. The Bible doesn't say that people wanted meat and so they got together and they came before the Lord and said, Lord, could you please give us some meat? They didn't do that. They just grumbled and complained. And this can happen to us too. We can be typing out all kinds of angry things about how we're mistreated and job is terrible, our neighborhood's terrible, our neighbors are stupid, and I don't like rah, 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 rah. Facebook, everywhere else, grumbling, complaining. Hey, have you prayed about that? No, I don't have time. I'm just too busy writing all these notes. What if we spent time praying? Peter said, give all your worries and cares to God. He cares about you. Thirdly, we can thank God for all he's already provided for us. I mean, this shifts our perspective. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. This is how prayer and thanksgiving go together. I tell God my need, and I thank him for what he's already done. Lord, I'm asking for this. I know you've provided this, this, this. Think if they had done that. Lord, you took us through the Red Sea. You conquered the Egyptian army. Lord, you've given us all these clothes that we don't deserve. You set us free. You're taking us to the promised land. Lord, could we please have some meat? That's vastly different than grumbling and complaining. And we can fall in the same trap. Because when we do that, then we experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds you live in Christ Jesus. I heard it said that Johnny Erickson Tata spoke at a women's conference once where they'd oversold the event. It was by accident, just too many tickets had been printed. And so hundreds of women had to stand. And there was grumbling and complaining. And even though they had offered to refund people the money for this, people were grumbling and complaining because they had to stand. And so Johnny Erickson taught us, she is a great speaker, she's paralyzed from the neck down. She came out and she told the crowd, she said, I would gladly give up my seat and stand if I could. And all of a sudden no one's grumbling or complaining anymore. Well, what changed the perspective? If we pray and give thanks, many times all of a sudden our attitude changes and our perspective changes and we're focusing on how good God is and we can trust him. Fourthly, we can refuse to compare ourselves to others and dwell on how things ought to be. This is the commandment against coveting. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, male or female servant, ox or donkey. You can replace that with SUV right there or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, this is what it means to covet. To covet means to want what you have. I'm comparing myself. Oh, and by the way, when we covet, we never compare ourselves to people who have less than we have. We always compare ourselves to the person who has more than we have. To our neighbor, it's the neighbor with more. And this is a terrible sin. Because the Bible says we tell God about our needs, and then when he provides things, we work with what we have. And we can't go around saying, I ought to be in charge. I ought to have this. How come that? Finally, we can serve others. And this is one of the best kept secrets of the Christian life. You want to enjoy life more? Serve others. Change your whole perspective every time. 
you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Can we say that much of that verse together, please? It is more blessed to give than to receive. We have mission trips leaving out of this church over the next one each week here for the next three weeks. And I guarantee you what will happen when people go on these mission trips, they'll go out there thinking, they'll say, man, I thought I was going to be serving these people and giving all this time away to people. And I did. And I thought I'd be bone weary, tired when I came back and worn out. And although I'm physically tired, let me tell you what happened. I am spiritually full. People come home from mission trips and they are filled with joy. They also go, I realize how much stuff I don't even need. We are so blessed. If we serve others, it changes our perspective. We give thanks, it changes our perspective. We pray instead of grumbling, we're doing something about it. We're taking it to the Lord because he's good. He's for us. And if things aren't working out the way we think, well, maybe there's a good reason for that. Can we ask him first? Oh, the Lord wants us to do this and not compare. So we went over the story today so we can learn. There were people buried in the desert in the graves of gluttony. We can learn from their negative example and not be like them. God's been good to us. And we must never forget that. We can count on him to provide. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that we will count on you to provide. We'll count on you to answer prayer. We'll count on you to give us the things we can handle. Lord, you know our capabilities better than we do. And Lord, sometimes we are so jealous and we are so covetous. We demand things that other people have and we don't even know if we can handle it. We overestimate our abilities. We underestimate our proclivity to weakness and temptation. And so God, I, I pray that we'll trust you more and worry less. Well, I was speaking today, if the Lord spoke to you about anything, would you say, Lord, I heard you. I want to learn from this. Please make me more thankful. Forgive me for grumbling. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Saying, what's our closing song?